0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers haven't had much luck with their tight ends in the last couple of years, but they also didn't do their tight ends many favors this season. So what does the tight end picture look like this year and beyond? Blue Fifty Eight. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meertink. happy to be with you here for another episode. And it's an episode I'm especially happy for because, you know, I've got a soft spot for tight ends. It's a recurring feature on this show, but I love a good tight end. And the Packers really haven't had much of a difference maker at tight end in a while. So I thought I would talk about why that might be. Why, first of all, do I like tight ends so much? I think it's just an interesting position, probably one of the most unique on the field. uh, You know, a football team is made up of a bunch of different entirely unique positions. And sometimes, you know, thinking about it, you get sub positions within those positions. Look at the difference between guys like Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. That dichotomy is all over the league. Look at the difference between the different kinds of wide receivers you can have. Just on the Packers, Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Randall Cobb, all wide receivers, very different jobs. Tight ends, I think, are unique among all the other positions, too, because nobody, it feels like, really sets out to be a tight end. They're kind of a leftover guy a lot of the time. They're not big enough to be a lineman. Or, put it the other way, they're a lineman who is a little bit too skinny. They're usually not fast enough to be a receiver. And they're often put at tight end because they've washed out of other positions. Frequently quarterback. But they are also very often unusually athletic. Or just a big-time shaper of the game because of their size. And you see the former basketball players come over a lot of times too. I know it's that storyline is overplayed, but I think the the subsection of that story, the underlying part of that story, just guys can affect the game by being big and athletic in ways that more conventionally sized football players can't is worth pointing out. It's a game designed for big people. And the biggest people often end up at tight end, the biggest and most athletic. The 2018 preseason, my wife and I went to a game at Lambeau Field. She had never been there before. We had an opportunity. We were in Wisconsin. Preseason tickets are cheap. It all lined up. It felt like it was a good opportunity to take her to Lambeau Field. So we went to see the Green Bay Packers take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that was when first Aaron Rodgers actually played semi-regularly in the preseason, but that was also our first taste to Jimmy Graham on the Packers roster. And early in that game, the Packers were driving and got down into the red zone. And the Packers motion Jimmy Graham across the formation, get him set up in the slot on the left side. He ends up catching a touchdown pass, which in and of itself is not all that unusual. You'd expect the Packers to try to work in one of their big new guys in the preseason when they get a chance. But it was seeing the games in person, you can get a sense of what People are thinking in ways that you can't always on TV. It's it's easier to see the whole geometry of the play. And you can do see things like you can see things like body language and interactions between players a whole lot. And I bring up this play because on this play, Graham motions across and he gets isolated, which had to be the purpose of the play, against some poor defensive back, some safety who was gonna end up out of the NFL before too long, one way or another. It was a guy who was not going to be part of the the regular Steelers team. Or maybe it was some superstar guy that I've just forgotten about. No, It it was some safety who suddenly found himself directly across from six foot seven inch Jimmy Graham. And finding himself in that position, you could see as he, as Graham motioned across, this guy realized, oh shoot, Here's what's going to happen here. I'm going to be one-on-one with Jimmy Graham here in a second. And he starts motioning frantically with his arms. He starts pointing madly to his teammates. You can see there's a meltdown happening in his brain because this guy that is across from me is really big. And you don't see that kind of interaction with guys that are just normal size. And that's something that I think is fun and unique about tight ends, they're just big and they can affect games by being big and strong and fast. And if you look at the position, a good one, even a one-dimensional good one, gives you all kinds of options. Think about a tight end who's just a really good blocker, a Mercedes Lewis, for instance. Well, suddenly you've got an offensive lineman who is also trained at pa- catching passes. Or say you're more of the receiving type of tight end you're still probably a better blocker than most wide receivers. And because of your size, you can block in different ways. Suddenly, you've got a wide receiver who gives you a size advantage over the defense. And it affects so many things about what you can do. It affects, think about what we talked about, well, I guess rewind a couple of years to when Devin Funches was with the Packers. He is not a tight end, but he's a big receiver. We talked about what that does to the Packers personnel packages when you've got tight ends on the field. Because instead of just having one big receiver and a normal-sized tight end, suddenly you have a big tight end and a big receiver, or two big tight ends and a big receiver. It changes the makeup of your personnel packages if you've got one of these guys who's actually good. So that kind of, as we head towards what the Packers had at tight end in 2022, boxed me into a question as I prep for this episode. Why does it seem like it's so hard to get a good tight end? The answer, as you might guess, is very simple. There just aren't that many. I looked at a couple different ways that we can categorize what a good tight end is. I started with football outsiders. They use their DVOA metric to talk about who's a good player or team or unit on a play-in play-out basis. Among wide receivers in 2022, there were 14 with a DVOA of 15% or more in 2022. There were 25 receivers with a DVOA of 10% or more. That means there were 14 players that were 15% above average on a play-by-play basis. There were 25 who were more than 10% better than the average player on a play-by-play basis. At tight end, though, there were just seven players with a DVOA of 15 or more, and 14 with a DVOA of 10 or more. I won't bore you with the numbers going back years, but I ran this back two, three, four seasons. It's roughly the same in previous years. There are just simply more good receivers than there are good tight ends, and you can see why that might be. You need more receivers on the field. You just don't carry as many tight ends, but they're just aren't that many tight ends that are putting up big stats on a play-in, play-out basis. For a little bit broader net, I looked at pro football focus. I looked at the list of tight ends with a receiving grade this year of 75 or more, and a run blocking grade of 65 or more. I figured that receiving is still more important than blocking, but we should try to cast a pretty broad net. A receiver who's or a tight end who's grading at 75 or better is a pretty good receiver. And a guy who's uh, blocking at 65 or better is a pretty good blocker. So how many people do you think hit both of those thresholds in 2022? It's not a long list, but it's probably even shorter than you would expect. It's two names long. You have Mark Andrews from Baltimore and George Kittle from San Francisco. Those were the only guys in the NFL in 2022 with a 75-plus receiving grade at tight end and a 65-plus receiving or run-blocking grade. Travis Kelsey, for those of you wondering, was through the roof on receiving, just absolutely elite as a receiver, but a 61 on his run-blocking grade. You can round him up to 65, make it three names long. The difference between—it's not a big difference, though, saying there's two good tight ends or really, really good tight ends— and three really, really good tight ends. So if we want to just round it up and include Kelsey in there just for the sake of including him because he's so great as a receiver, we can do that too. Looking back past years, it was, again, pretty similar. 2021 jumps out because there was exactly one name on the list. It was only George Kittle. There just aren't many guys that are good blockers and good receivers. And unfortunately for the Packers, they really didn't have a guy who was particularly dominant in either one of those areas. I realize uh, now that we're three position groups into this, I haven't explained exactly the methodology we use for this review. But back last summer, we sat down as we previewed all positions, all the positions on the roster, and decided whether we had high, moderate, or low expectations for every player on the roster. And there can be different definitions of what a high, moderate, or low expectation can be depending on who the player is. But generally, that's the buckets we try to sort people into. And I like doing it that way better than trying to do letter grades at the end of the year. Because I think grades and how you do as a player should be entirely expectation-based. Romeo Dobbs from our last episode is a perfect example. He didn't have a particularly great season... But you have to remember, he's a rookie, he's a fourth-round pick, and he was injured for a bunch of the year. The expectations were not very high for him to begin with. Yeah, sure, he didn't have a great season, but so what? If you were expecting a great season out of him, that's a you problem, not a him problem. So that's the mindset that we try to use to approach these guys all throughout the roster. And I think it's the fairest way to grade these guys too. For the Packers tight ends, I will just... Say right off the bat, expectations were moderate at best for all of these guys. And the Packers really didn't have much to speak of at tight end. Only four guys took a snap at tight end this year. And we'll start with the guy with the fewest, Tyler Davis. 174 snaps on offense, 346 on special teams. Finished the season with four catches for 26 yards. Not a bad per-catch average, I suppose, but 23 of his 26 receiving yards came on one play. Expectations for Davis were moderate. Characterized that last summer as saying he needs to be Mercedes Lewis light. He's primarily a blocking tight end, and that's basically what we saw from him this year. For some reason, though, the very unusual podcaster that you're listening to predicted that he would have double-digit catches this year and would start at least one game. Well, he did start a game, but four catches was always off saw for Tyler Davis last year. So did he meet our expectations? He ended up being a lot more of a special teams mainstay than I think I, I would have anticipated. 300 plus special teams is not uh, special team snaps is nothing to sneeze at. Obviously pretty reliable there if they're putting him out there that much. I thought he would be a bigger part of the offense, just given what they tried to do with him at times last year. But basically, he was a cameo player on offense. You'd see him now and then out there, and that was about it. Never a big target. Caused the caused at least one interception that I can think of off the top of my head this year. I think it may have been in the, in the first Detroit game. Kind of slowed up on a route, and uh, the the safety was able to cut in front of him or took a bad angle on the route, and as a result, uh, that was intercepted. But it really just wasn't much of a. Much to write home about. The special team stuff was great, but I think you're looking for a little bit more from him as a as an offensive contributor. He wasn't even a contributor in the way that I think Dominique Daphne was back in twenty twenty or even twenty twenty one. Uh did not have that kind of versatility very, very much just in just an inline tight end. So I guess you can say that he met expectations, sure, but so what? he wasn't a sort of player who's going to make a whole lot of difference for the offense anyway. And that, I think, is going to be kind of a recurring theme for the Packers' tight ends here. Because other than Robert Tunyon, nobody ever really got to be a big part of the offense anyway. Now, Mercedes Lewis is an important blocker, but he didn't, even like he's done in past years, have many opportunities to make defenses pay as a receiver. Didn't run those little leak-out routes as as often. Uh, But Josiah Deguara who we'll talk about next, also really suffered from a lack of opportunities in 2022. So let's talk about him here. 258 snaps on offense for the former third-round pick, 200 on special teams. It was a smaller role for DeGuara this year than last. Uh, He played 367 snaps on offense in 2021. That fell precipitously. And I think there may have been something, may have been that may have been connected to the Packers' use of uh, two-back formations. A lot of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones on the field together probably cut into Deguara's snap share a little bit. But I don't know if that's entirely the cause. Expectations, again, were fairly moderate. I said he needed to look like a top 100 pick here in his third season, now fully healthy, off the ACL. I, I didn't think there was any reason he couldn't look like a the, the notable third round pick that he was. Well, did he look like a top 100 pick? And I'm not really sure there's an answer because I don't know how you evaluate Josiah DeGuara. Because the Packers have really wanted him to be that sort of Kyle Juszczyk, Swiss Army knife, blocker, receiver, runner sort of player. But the Packers don't really use him as that sort of Swiss Army knife either. He does some good things as a fullback, but you pretty much only ever see him as a fullback. He doesn't run, he doesn't catch screens, he doesn't line up in the slot all that much. He was used almost exclusively as a blocker, and that makes it almost a bad grade by default as a third-round pick, because you can't be using a third-round pick on a guy like that. It, it just—you wonder what the thinking was, and if their thinking about him has changed for some reason— I don't see him as a terribly different player now than what he was as a rookie, but the Packers are using him in such a small role that it's like he almost can't be anything but a disappointment. We did receive one small blessing from Josiah Deguara in 2022. We got to see some, just just a few, just a tantalizing few, A.J. Dillon, Josiah Deguara quasi-like pony looks in 2022, usually both of them with Aaron Rodgers in shotgun which was cool to see, and I wanted to see more of it. I wanted to see Josiah Deguara run the ball, quite frankly. He, he's a good athlete. Let him run with it. You're going to have him out there, make him a threat. Do something with him. If you're sensing that my... Even if I don't think he met expectations in 2022, I don't think that it's Deguara's fault, I'd say that's pretty accurate. I think as far as what they asked him to do in 2022 is pretty good. But I don't still don't understand, and it's just gotten, I think, worse as his career has gone on. I don't understand why you'd spend a top 100 pick on a guy that you're only planning to use as a blocking fullback. And that kind of is a theme for the Packers' third-round picks these past few years. Not only are they not doing well, Deguara probably the best of the bunch, but they're just not in positions where they can play. So you've got Deguara from 2022, You've got Amari Rodgers, a slot receiver for an offense that really doesn't use slot receivers like much of the league does. And then you've got Sean Ryan, a college tackle who has to switch to guard, who got bumped out by other college tackles who switched to guards and then got knocked with a PED suspension. Altogether, Brian Gutekun's third round picks from 2020 through 2022 played a grand, played a grand total of 356 combined snaps on offense in 2022. That is just terrific. What comes next for Josiah DeGuara? I do think there's a chance that his role looks different next year, because as much as Aaron Rodgers insists that this is the most by-the-book that the offense has been while Matt LaFleur has been here, as much as LaFleur says similar things, if Jordan Love is the starting quarterback, things are going to look different. And it's going to affect people like Josiah DeGuara. He's going to have different responsibilities, pass protection, uh, maybe pass receiving. Uh, you're probably not going to do the, the pony stuff quite as much because of the, the heavy RPO structure there. I don't know if they're going to want Jordan Love doing that much pre-snap reading type stuff. I think there is a chance that his role is going to look much different. At the same time, we have to admit that he hasn't had much of a role to this point. So How different can it really look? It's a frustrating place to be in if you're trying to evaluate somebody fairly because so much of what goes into Deguara as a player has to do with where he was picked and what they talked about him doing when they picked him. They picked him in the third round to be this Swiss Army Knife sort of guy, and his role has just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you evaluate that kind of guy. Mercedes Lewis is next on our list. He played 451 snaps on offense, 200 on special teams, finished the season with six catches for 66 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Modern expectations for Lewis, like we said for everybody else, how how could they really be anything else? Lewis is at the stage in his career and basically has been since he arrived in Green Bay back in 2018 that you know what you're getting. And if you have expectations that are higher and lower than that, again, that's a you problem, I think. I predicted for some reason that he would have between 15 and 23 catches, so if you're scoring at home, that is two tight ends who have never been much of a receiving threat that I thought were going to get double-digit catches at least this year. Why, summer of 2022, John? Did you think that? I don't know. I also predicted he would play all 17 games. Not very far out on the limb there. He managed to do it, so we got one for two. Evaluating his season is pretty easy. Eyeball-wise, I thought he looked pretty much just as good as he always has. Grade-wise, it was his lowest-greatest season since he started playing actual snaps in Green Bay as a run blocker. That's his worst run-blocking grade since 2018. He did have a lower grade technically in 2018, but he only played 116 snaps that year. I I think we can say that since he started being a regular part of the Packers offense, this is his worst run-blocking season his pass or run blocking grade was 66.6 this year according to Pro Football Focus which is down from 73.6 last year but we do need to point out that that grade is still fourth best among tight ends with more than 200 blocking snaps so as far as tight ends go Lewis still an elite run blocker as far as next year goes if it was just about him I would love to have him back however as you may have heard there are some other decisions that are going to affect people like Mercedes Lewis going on here with the Packers. He did sign a four-year, $8 million contract prior to the 2021 season, but 23 and 24 are void years. And according to OverTheCap.com, he's already going to count more than $500,000 against the cap in 2023 and 2024 as a result of those void years. And I believe that is unavoidable. So I don't know if they'll really be interested in taking on more Mercedes Lewis. In addition to that, we'll see. Um, I would wouldn't mind having him back. I think there's no reason to to think his play is is really going to be all that different. Again, dropping to the the run blocking grade he was at is not ideal, but still, it's it's great for a tight end, and certainly better than anybody else the Packers had on the roster at the position. Speaking of. The only other tight end who took snaps for the Packers in 2022 was Robert Tunyon. 591 snaps on offense, three on special teams, finishes the year with 53 catches for 470 yards and two touchdowns. And if this doesn't serve as the perfect description for how his season went, Tunyon had a career high in catches and a career low in yards per catch expectations were moderate because of the torn ACL in 2021. I didn't think he would be back until uh, to full strength until late in the season. I didn't even think he'd be on the roster, actually, until to start the year. I predicted he'd start on the physically unable to perform list, and because of a stint on that list, I thought he would finish the season with fewer than 35 catches. But since he beat the timeline on both of those predictions, we ended up with, with two pretty solid incomplete predictions there, or not incomplete, incorrect positions or predictions there. And I feel pretty good about being incorrect on those because it, it served the Packers pretty well. However, I don't know what to make of his 2022 season. He had the catches. He was a part of the offense. He got 70 targets. His catch rate was good. He looked like he could beat defenses at times. But It seems like the Packers were using him really strangely in 2022. For instance, his average depth of target for this year was a career low 6.6 yards, which is a big drop from where he was pre-injury in 2021 at 10.5 yards. And it's even down from where he was in 2020 when he had the strange explosion of touchdowns that year. He was at 8.4 yards average depth of target there. So were they just having him serve as a checkdown guy pretty exclusively? Was he just there to be the safety valve in case things didn't work out with the, the young and inexperienced and kind of weird wide receiving core the Packers had going on? I've looked at enough film to know. But it seems like that's what the stats kind of point to. Because other than that, his 2022 statistically, like catch rate, like what he did after the catch, was basically the same as 2020. He took snaps in the same spots. He did about the same amount of blocking. Again, he had the career high in catches. He had the career high in targets. They were just, it seems like using him so strangely that his numbers looked really, really weird and kind of bad. And that incidentally is another reason that I've become increasingly skeptical, not only of stats, but the analytics built off of them as well. Because there are so many factors that go into stuff like that, that affect Stats, long-term. We talked about it, um, I, shoot, I don't know if I even mentioned it in uh, in the podcast, but I was doing some research for something else the other day. Uh, if Christian Watson catches the the touchdown pass or the, the pass on the Packers' first offensive snap in Week 1, Aaron Rodgers' passer rating jumps by more than a point for the entire year, and his average yards per attempt jumps by more than half a yard, too. A couple more plays like that, you know, drop touchdowns, uh, tip balls that turn into interceptions, and you've got an entirely different statistical picture for Aaron Rodgers for 2022. And the entire narrative shifts as well. I wrote a piece at thepowersweep.com just this week about how 13 points could have changed the entire Packers season. If the Packers score another touchdown against against the Lions and another touchdown against the Commanders, Suddenly they jump to at least, what would it be, 10 and 7? They're in the playoffs, for sure. It doesn't even matter what happens in Week 18. 10 wins, they're in. It's stuff like that that makes me skeptical of stats and, and a lot of the analytics built off them because it's so, all of it is so situational. That's a tangent, bring it back to Robert Tunyon. So, as far as Tunyon goes for 2023, I am... I'm pretty receptive to the idea that he could be better two years removed from his ACL injury in a better, more sound offense. And I think whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love under center for 2023, their offense, I think, is going to be more sound. The offensive line should be more settled, and your receiving core should be much more of a known commodity. It should be better, if anything, because it's just more stable. Tunyon signed a one-year, $3.75 million deal last year. He's got a bit of cap stuff related to that this year. I think if we did the two-year version of that, I don't know if I'd be all that bent out of shape over it. So that's what, two years, just over $7.5 million or about $7.5 million? Podcast, you're not a mathematician. Uh, That doesn't seem all that bad. You are starting to get to point to the point where you think a little bit about age. He turns 29 in April. I don't know if I want to commit past his age 30 season, but if you did a, a two-year deal, get him through age 29 and age 30 seasons, or a three-year deal that really looks like a two-year deal, you can evaluate after the second-year deal, get him a little bit more guaranteed money, give yourself some cap relief as you spread that out into the third year, maybe add a fourth void year in there if you want. I don't know if I'd be that upset about that. I think his usage was just different in 22 than it's ever really been in the past. And I don't know if you can really knock Tunyon for that all that much. Overall, yeah, an underwhelming picture at tight end. But as we kind of started out the show with, really good tight ends are rare. The Packers do need to add talent there. But I think if you're if you're upset at what they had at tight end or what they, they got out of their tight ends, it's probably as much a question of expectations as anything else. The Packers may not have expected all that much out of their tight ends this year, and I don't th- think we really should have as much either. And that's kind of a, a disappointing place to be as a fan, but I think that's the truth. I don't think the Packers were going into this season thinking they were going to get all that much out of their tight ends. And maybe that should affect how we think about things in the future and beyond as well. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. Maybe you find the tight end enthusiast in your life and say, hey, this guy talked way too long about just tight ends and why they're neat. Maybe you would think that's neat too. I would think that's pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, if you share it with a person like that, That's going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, perhaps me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.